0: Ed's still standing. Ed, ushers, Ed, no. (laughs) Well, normally I would say if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation chapter 20, but we're not going to go there this morning. If you would, turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. If you need a Bible, Kevin's up. He'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. I know we should be looking at Revelation 20, but we're going to save that for next week, the millennial reign of Christ. For next week. But since it's been three weeks since we've been in Revelation. I thought it would be a good idea to do some catching up this morning. And so the title of my study is it's time to catch up. And we're going to we're gonna catch up to Revelation chapter 20. You know it's like a, the television series when they say previously on. And they show you all this stuff that happened right before. It's kind of like where we're at this morning. I want to do a previously on. A, you know time to catch up. I know we've looked at the second coming of Jesus, but I tell you, I don't think we gave enough attention. I think that you know we can always look at the second coming of Jesus over and over again, and that's what we're going to do this morning, in the book of Matthew. But we're also going to be looking in other places in Scripture. We're all we're going to look at the, in the book of Zechariah, the book of Acts, Daniel, and we're going to get to Revelation chapter 19. So my encouragement to you this morning is: warm up your fingers. Get them ready. If you scroll on the tablet, get get your, your button ready, and but get those page-turning fingers ready, because we're going to look at Matthew 24, Zechariah 14, Acts 1, Daniel 7, and Revelation 19. So with that, let's start in Matthew 24, and let's have a word of prayer. <laughs> Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for uh, Holy Spirit, for just bringing Your Word to life to life into our lives, uh, Lord, we thank You for the work of Your Spirit in our lives. And as we study Your Word, Lord, it gets us excited for more of Your Word, more of You. And so, bless our time together. We pray, Father. We pray if there's anyone that has joined us that does not have a personal relationship with Your Son Jesus Christ, they're not born again. Lord, would You especially speak to their heart today? Uh, help them to see their need for you and come to you in faith today. Lord, bless our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've always loved the story of the little boy who loved to go to his grandparents' house because in the house they had one of those old grandfather clocks, you know, the real tall ones with the ropes and the weights that hang down and, and uh, as it chimes, you know, and the kid loved to see it chime. Well, this time it began to chime, you know, dong one, dong two, but something went wrong this time. When it reached 12 o'clock, then it went dong 13, dong 14, dong, it kept on going. The boy rushes into the kitchen and says, Grandpa, Grandpa, it's later than it's ever been before. I think that's a really appropriate description of the times in which we're living in right now. It's later than it's ever been before. I firmly believe that there's never been a generation that has been closer to the return of Jesus Christ than we are right now in this very moment. Ever since the Jews became a nation back in 1948 uh, there in the land of Israel and then regained the city of Jerusalem in 1967, making it the capital of Israel, God's prophetic time clock seems to be just moving faster and faster to his return for his bride, the church, the start of the seven-year Great Tribulation period, and the events to follow after that. And we can see the events today all pointing towards that fact that Jesus could return for his church at any moment. Well, here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, it's what's commonly called the Olivet Discourse. In it, Jesus described to his disciples what would be the signs of his coming in the end of the age. And Jesus spoke of certain signs that would happen that would directly precede his coming, including of the emergence of a a coming world leader, the Antichrist, the tribulation period, the regathering of the nation of Israel, a newly rebuilt temple. He said there would be earthquakes in various places, and we've seen even today that's happening all over. We've looked at many of these things in our studies through Revelation, how there would be this one world religion, a one world government how there would be a cashless society, how there would be those who could not buy or sell without the passport vaccination verification. I mean, I mean, without the mark of the beast. That's a joke, okay? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we're certainly seeing, you know, that, 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 that our society is being set up for a global control over all that we say and over all that we do, a one-world global government, globalism. Speaking about, the Bible speaks of all these things. You know, the Bible is the only book that dares to predict the future and has been right 100%, right 100% of the time. There is no other book in any other religion that can say that. You know, God in His Word says to us, and I've shared this verse many times Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, this is in the New Living Translation Remember the things I've done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. I love that. I do whatever I wish. Well, Matthew 24 verse 21 is a fine example of this. Jesus there says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world, until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And all the signs of the times are fastly, uh, quickly approaching to this. We're seeing this. And I know we've looked pretty intensely uh, over the last few months to the point that we've seen it all culminate in in the very end of what's called the Battle of Armageddon. All the military powers of the world uh, at the end of these seven years will converge upon Israel to battle for world domination the antichrist and his armies will face the 200 million man army from the east and in the midst of all this fighting against each other jesus will return and suddenly they'll stop fighting against each other and turn on jesus and we read in revelation 19:19 19, 19, and i saw the beast the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army So they're going to stop fighting each other, and they're going to turn, and they're going to fight against Jesus. Not a good move. Do you really think you can defeat Jesus? In fact, the Bible tells us it's not going to be much of a battle at all. We're told when Jesus returns, first on the list will be the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, that the Lord will consume him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. You see, this is the final event. This is the culmination of man's rebellion against God. This is the final showdown. When the world comes together for this final battle, Jesus will just speak the word, and it will all be over. So this is what we're catching ourselves up to. Look now at Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Isn't it amazing that Jesus tells us exactly what is going to happen? He lays it out for us. He gives us a very clear picture of the future. Here Jesus is saying that immediately after this seven-year tribulation period, the sun is going to go out, the moon will not shine, the stars will be falling stars, and all the powers of the heavens will be shaken. He goes on in verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now this is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then verse 31, He will send His angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now we've looked, we've, we've studied in the past in, in Revelation that the word elect can mean the church, it can mean Israel, it could also mean the tribulation saints, those who came to the Lord during the tribulation period. But here I believe Jesus is referring to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. He calls his own, based on Isaiah 11, 12, which says this, he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Isaiah 27, verses 12 and 13, Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 4, also speak of this if you want to look those verses up later. You see, through the father of faith, Abraham, what began all the way back in the book of Genesis, will will end when Jesus sends out his angels to gather his elect, his chosen ones from the four winds, from from one end of heaven to the other. But here's my point. I want you to notice the surety of these things that will happen. Jesus said in verse 30 of Matthew 24, The Son of Man will appear in heaven. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming. He will send his angels, and they will gather together his elect. Jesus is promising that these things will happen just as he says they will. There's no other option here. This is the way it's going to all go down. In fact, I want to give you, give us really four things to take note of if you're taking notes concerning the promise of Jesus' second coming. First of all, the second coming of Jesus is prominent. What I mean by that is, is this, the second coming is second to none. It's absolutely second to nothing. There has never been anything, or will there be anything like it? When Jesus returns, all the lights are going out. This will be unparalleled, dominant display of the glory of God. It's going to be the main event. And everything and anything that we have seen up to this point tells in, into comparison to this prominent, unprecedented event. The late Rich Mullins had a song back in 1988 called Awesome God with the lyrics, when he rolls up his sleeves, you just ain't putting on the writs, our God is an awesome God. Now I do think I, I, I like the old hymn writer Horatius. Bafford, the way he puts it a little bit better, we sang it last week, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. Second coming of Jesus Christ is going to be unparalleled. It's going to be unequal to any other event in history. And we know how it starts. It starts with a sign in the sky. Again, verse 29 of Matthew 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Again, the second coming of Jesus Christ is is not going to be a surprise to, to no one. Listen, folks, though, the rapture of the church that we talk about, this catching up of the church, that's going to be an unexpected surprise. For many, that's what happens in a day, in an hour, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when you least expect it. And I pray today that if you don't know Jesus Christ, that you come to know him today so that you can be a part of this rapture. But the second coming is not going to be a surprise. It's been announced beforehand. Things start to happen up in space. The stage is set. The lights go out. The sign is shown. What sign? Well, I think the sign is that the entire planet Earth is going to witness Jesus Christ. Standing up at the right hand of God, receiving the the title deed to the planet Earth, he's going to get on his horse and come back to claim what rightfully belongs to him. And everybody's going to watch and everybody's going to witness this most prominent of events. It'll be spectacular and not a single person on the planet will miss it. So number one, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be very prominent. Number two, it's going to be precise. Precise. Well, what do I mean by precise? Well, it's going to happen exactly the way God says it's going to happen. Listen, 325 times in the Scriptures we're told about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He wants us to get uh, that point across to you, even more than the points He made about His first coming. In fact, for every verse, every point that He made about His first arrival, there are eight for the one about His second coming. And they are precise. Let me show you one now. Get your fingers ready. Turn to the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. Zechariah, chapter 14. It's the second to the last book in the Old Testament right before Malachi. If you're Italian, right before Malachi. I've said that many times, you guys. Thank you for laughing. Um, Zechariah chapter 14, we're going to see just how precise Jesus' second coming is. Starting in verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the house is rifled, and the woman ravished, Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth. Now catch this, this is now the second coming. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. Here Zechariah says the Lord is going to come against these nations that are coming against little old Israel. In fact, the only thing that's going to save them is that the Lord is going to fight on their behalf. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3 again, Zechariah 14. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And now look how precise his return is. Verse 4. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley. From the mountain valley shall reach to Ezel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Now, the reason I bring this section up is to give us a glimpse of where we as believers are in all of this. Notice in verse 5 again Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. It's us. We're coming back with him. That's the role each one of us will have as believers, as the saints, at the second coming of Jesus Christ. We get to return with them. I do not know where so many people get the idea that the church is going to go through the great tribulation period. Because you can't both be here and there to return with him when he comes. The Bible here is saying that in the Old Testament, we the saints of church are going to return with him when he comes back. In other words, don't worry about the wrath that's going to come. Just walk with God, and God will take care of you. Same thing he said to Noah. Noah, build a boat, get in the boat, and I will take care of you for my wrath that's coming. Same thing he said to, to, to Lot when Sodom and Gomorrah was about to be destroyed. Come with me, get your family, let's get out of town, don't look back. Unfortunately, his wife does, and she turns into a salt shaker. But, but, but see, God gave the warning. Wrath is going to come. The storm is going to come. It's going to hit. Come walk with me. I'll lead you to safety. I will take care of you. And there are many, many more examples of this and how God has not appointed us to wrath. And I encourage you to listen to Pastor Bruce's study from Wednesday night. He covered a lot of these verses and it was saying the same thing. Same thing as what 1 Thessalonians 5 9 says For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We as believers will not face the wrath of God. God's word is very precise here. These things will happen just as he says it will happen. So before the great tribulation comes, we need to make sure we're safely and securely saved in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I pray if you're here today and you're not saved, that you get saved today. Turn with me now to the book of Acts chapter 1. Told you there'd be a lot of page turning today. Acts chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, book of Acts. It's there that we find the same report given precisely again because God is being precise concerning His second coming. Acts chapter 1 really is about the same time frame that we're celebrating now. Uh, You know, we just celebrated the resurrection of our Lord last week, and here in chapter 1 of Acts, we find Jesus has just died on the cross for our sins. Three days later, He rose from the dead, and for the next 40 days, Jesus is making these appearances before many of his disciples. In fact, he shows up, then he disappears again, then he shows up, and he disappears again. We looked at this last week. He did it with Thomas, you know, John chapter 20. First time Jesus showed up, Thomas was not there, and, and, and you know, that's why he got the nickname of Doubting Thomas. But as we've seen, I think he was more of a skeptic. But he said, listen, you know, unless I, 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 I you know, see for myself, I will not believe it. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, no knock on the door, nothing, Jesus appears and says, Hey, Tommy, I heard what you're saying. Come here. Feel my nail print. See for yourself. But Thomas fell on his knees and cried out, My Lord and my God. But then what happens next? Jesus just disappears. As quick as he came, he's gone. Where'd he go? Well, all of a sudden, now we read that he's walking with a couple of really bummed out disciples who are on their way to Emmaus. And Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him. They think he's a stranger. And it's kind of like a bugs bunny cartoon. He says, What's up, Doc? You know, guys, why are you so bummed? They don't know. You know, they, well, don't you know, they say? Where have you been? Don't you know what's happening? Jesus of Nazareth had just been killed. He died on the cross. He's gone. He's dead. And the same, uh, and then the man they thought to be a stranger who he knew was, was the Lord. Open up the scriptures to them all the way back from from the Old Testament, from the beginning to the end of the Old Testament, showing how it all pointed to him, all pointed to Jesus. And in fact, they reach the town. They're hungry. They say, stay, stranger. Why don't you stay with us and have dinner with us, please? And they begged him to stay for dinner. So Jesus does. And as soon as he breaks the bread, poof, he's gone. And they go, it was Jesus. We recognized him. And it didn't our hearts burn inside us, reminding us and telling us the story that he's coming again? It happened again. Then, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, the disciples had been fishing all night and had caught nothing, which usually seems to be the case when we read about these so-called fishermen. You got to wonder. <laughs> no, no, they caught nothing. They caught nothing. What kind of fishermen were you? But anyway, they hadn't caught a thing. Jesus shows up, and out of nowhere, I mean, he's there, and he says, "Hey, boys, anybody hungry? Well, of course they're hungry." <laughs> They, they, they fished alive, got nothing. That's an understatement. So Jesus says, come on in, let's have breakfast together. And I don't know how he made the breakfast. I think he probably just said breakfast, poof, and it was there. I don't know, but no doubt it was the best breakfast they ever had in their lives. But the guys recognized Jesus, and as quickly as he came, he was gone again. Fourth time it happens here in Acts chapter 1. Look now, verses 8 through 11 of Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him. Go into heaven. Do you know where that happened? Look at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, the Sabbath day's journey. It happened on the Mount of Olives, right where Jesus was sharing, Matthew 24, exactly the precise manner, precisely where Jesus also said he would return. Zechariah 14.4. Remember we read this. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north, and half towards the south, exactly, precisely as Jesus said. I've heard that today on the top of the Mount of Olives there's an intercontinental hotel. You know, maybe it might not be a bad place to hang out, but I think with heaven would be in heaven with Jesus, we'd be much better than hanging out there. Especially if it's going to split in half, you don't want to be there. But anyway, number one. Jesus' second coming will be prominent. Number two, it'll be precise, just as his word says. Number three, it's going to be powerful. Powerful. Remember Matthew 24:29. You don't need to turn back there, but it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And this is the most powerful display of Jesus' power the world has ever seen. Quite the opposite from the way he first came into this world. The first way he came, you might say he came in powerless. He comes in as an innocent, tiny little baby born in a manger. Showed up in his first arrival begging for a place where he could be born. There's no rooms at the Best Western of Bethlehem, so he had to go to the barn around back, a stable. Listen, folks, Jesus' second coming will be nothing like that. It'll be filled with power and majesty and and might. First time He came, they needed to hide Him from the eyes of Herod. The second time He comes, men will hide because of the brightness of His coming. First time He came, He came as a suffering Savior. His second coming will come as a conquering king. And as I said, all the earth will witness it and see it happening and they will never, ever be able to say that they had seen anything like this before. It's not going to be like rumors, well, you know, I think I saw Jesus at the mall walking around the other day. Yeah, he said he was Jesus. I don't know. He kind of had long hair. No, it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be, oh, you know, if you tilt your head just right and look on this tortilla chip, you can see Jesus' image right there. Yeah, Jesus is back. No. It's ridiculous. This is going to be the most awesome display of power that the world has ever seen. It'll be absolutely amazing. A presentation of power like never before. You know, when Jesus shows up again, He'll show up with all of heaven showing up with Him. So how come He's showing up with so much power? You know why? Because He's come to set the, set the record straight. <laughs> he's come to let the world know He's in charge. And I love that. And let me tell you, uh, he's, he, Jesus has the power to back up what He promises. You know, any promise that you or I make, it's conditional on the, on the power to back it up. I can have promise to give you a million dollars, but if I don't have two cents in my name, it's not going to make a difference. But when it comes to our God, He who has promised is faithful to complete that which He said He has come to do. You can, you can take that to the bank. Second coming of Jesus will be prominent. Number one. Number two, it'll be precise. Number three, it'll be powerful. And number four, if you're taking note, it will be permanent. In fact, back in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, you don't need to turn there again, but Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So the, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be permanent. Now, for, for some of us, that's the greatest news you've ever heard. Others, it may scare you absolutely to death. Because the return of the Lord is not what you're living for. There's other things that may be taken priority in your life. But folks, in order for us to truly be blessed by this news, you know what has to happen? The same four things that happens in Jesus' second coming. Number one, prominent. What has to happen is that this loving relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be prominent in your life. The most important thing in your life. As prominent as the second coming will be is as prominent as His life in you needs to be today. Secondly, precise. You need to be precise about this. That is in Him, in Him alone that you are living for. In Him and his, his word alone is what you follow. Thirdly, power. It's not your power, it's not your talents, it's not your abilities that you're going to trust in. Oh, I just got to pull up my bootstraps and see myself through, we're going to get done with. No, it's His power, His Spirit, that's giving you the power to live for Him. And number four, uh, this isn't something that should be around just for a little bit, walk with the Lord and do not It needs to be permanent in your life. It permanently has come because there's been a permanent change in your priorities. There's been a permanent change in your life and you're living for Him. So that when this happens, you are not left or longing, but you're found smack dab in the middle of all this because you've returned with Jesus Christ. Now, get your fingers ready. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. A few more places uh, I want to look at. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel is between Ezekiel and Hosea. Take a right turn at Isaiah. Keep going down the road. You'll find it. This is Daniel's report of where we find ourselves concerning the second coming of the Lord. And this time frame in Daniel almost brings us to the beginning of where we left off in Revelation twenty three weeks ago. But Daniel chapter 7, look at verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in a place and the Ancient of Days was seated. So that's God, that's our Heavenly Father sitting on the throne, reigning supreme over heaven and earth, Daniel says, guys, I saw this. I watched as the thrones were put into place and the Ancient of Days were seated. And he says, his garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wills a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Now, who do you think that is? That's us. That's you, that's me, and all the saints and believers that have claimed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior surrounding the throne of God. Daniel goes on, verse 10. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, the books were opened. I watched, and because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, so at this point the devil still still at work, but not for long, I watched till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. I mean, here's Jesus. Here he comes. Now watch this, verse 13. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Hallelujah. I can't wait for that to happen. And it's a heart of the Lord that each and every one of us would be a part of this. Now, not only do we see this from from the vision of Daniel, but now finally, last turning, turn to Revelation chapter 19. This is where we left off. This is where we're going to pick up next week in chapter 20. That's the title of my study. It's time to catch up. We're now caught up. And I know we've looked at these things before, but by way of reminder, this is great to look at it again. Starting in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 19. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, who do you think God is? same 10,000 from Daniel times 10,000. Daniel's vision, that's us gathered together. Folks, we really need to get this picture out of our mind that all we're going to do in heaven is float on clouds and playing harps all day. It's It's not going to happen. There's going to be so much activity going on that we're going to be just so busy, excitingly serving the Lord. It's going to be great. Again, verse 14. And the armies that have been clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Again, I shared this before. If you've never ridden a horse, finally you get your big chance right here. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And it is very soon. Listen, we could say that every second for every day, Sunday after Sunday, and I don't think it would still be enough. But this is who we live for. Nothing else is worth living for. So, we're caught up where we left off. Finally, I want to close with this and enter into a time of communion. I mentioned before that we know there's one more big event that will happen before Jesus returns with us. And there, there must be a catching up of us, his saints. A catching away, harpezo in the Greek, rapturo in Latin, rapture in English, caught up in God's word. 1 Thessalonians 4:16 and 17. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is the rapture of the church. We're caught up in the air. Jesus is not setting His foot down on the Mount of Olives at this point yet. We're in the air with Him. Seven years later, we come back with Him. And we'll see that. Then at that point, seven years later, out of his mouth shall go a sharp sword and he will strike the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron. He'll tread the winepress of the fiercest and the wrath of Almighty God. He'll have on his robe and on his thigh his name King of kings and Lord of lords. This takes us to the millennial reign of Christ where Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years. That's what we're going to look at this this coming week. A lot of different views on that. We're going to dig in with that next week. Folks, the stage is set. Jesus is coming back. It's later than it's ever been before. And I don't know about you, but, but reading these verses gets me excited to think about what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Vindicated. All the sin, all the junk that's in this world it finally is finally going to be come to an end. And every eye shall see Him and every knee will bow and confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Queen Victoria of England once heard a sermon of the second coming of Jesus Christ and said to the preacher, oh, I wish that Jesus could come in my day. I wish that I could be here and be alive when I could see the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the preacher asked, why would you want that? She said, because I would love to lay my crown at His blessed feet in reverent adoration. Don't you love that? I love that all the nations are going to bow before Him. Iraq, Iran, Syria, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, every nation is going to bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords. The question is, this morning, have you submitted your life to Jesus Christ? Have you bowed to Him? Because one day He's going to come to judge the earth and it will be prominent, it will be precise, it will be powerful, and it will be permanent. And if you do not submit to Him now and bow your knee before Him now, You will have to then. But that confession will not be to your salvation, but to your damnation, to your condemnation. And at that point, it will be way too late. But if you bow to Him now, it is to salvation. So let's close here and spend some time in communion since we missed it last week. In light of these things that we know will take place, Jesus said for us, He told us, to take some time in worship, in communion, to remember what He's done. Remember what He did for us upon the cross. Remember that our sins have been forgiven. Remember, He says, but He also says remember that He's coming again to make the world right. So we have communion to bring these things back to our remembrance, to catch us up, if you will. Paul writes in, in uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 you don't need to turn there, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night on which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He had broken and said, take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, he goes on, in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We're told to remember, told to remember, and we're in the process where we're proclaiming the Lord's death. And we know that after Jesus rose from the dead, the early church did this very same thing. Acts two forty two tells us they remembered Jesus' words. They continued, said, fasting, the apostles' doctrine, and the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. See, they needed to. We need to practice communion, the Lord's supper, on, on a regular basis, because He knew two things would happen when we did that. We would be reminded of what Jesus did upon the cross. And we would, number two, be reminded that he's coming back again. And we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded the older I get to refocus, Refocus on what's important. It's for that reason Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28 to say that when it comes to the communion table, before we partake, he says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we need to do some self-examination. But the problem with self-examination oftentimes is either we're self-deceived and we make ourselves to be doing great when in reality we're doing horrible and we're robbed of the joy that we should have that comes from the forgiveness that the Lord offers to us because we're not right with the Lord. Or number two, the other way in self-examination we bring on self-condemnation. And there are those who take this to the extreme to the point where they're always under condemnation. Oh, you know. And and they're, they're robbed of the joy that comes from having our sin forgiven. I like this quote from Warren Wiersbe. He said, No Christian should treat sin lightly, but no Christian should be harder on himself than God is. see, allow the Lord to examine our hearts. Say, Lord, I'm going to be open to you. Lord, is there anything in me that shouldn't be there? Am I allowing some sin in my life to be a, a continual habitual sin that I need to confess and ask forgiveness and the power and the strength to stop it? Lord, is it just my walk with you within where it should be? Then I need to examine that and see whatever the Lord wants to show in your life, ask Him to show it to you. Maybe the Lord wants to just encourage you. Amen. man, you're doing great. Keep at it. You're doing a good job. If so, praise the Lord for it. Praise Him during communion. That's what it's about as well. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, well, communion is about our relationship with the Lord and what it means to have that communion with our Heavenly Father. And the only way we have communion with our Heavenly Father is through what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. And so if you're here and you're not a born-again believer, then I would ask that you, and you have no plans on being born again this morning, I would ask that as these trays are passed by you, when they're passed out, just let it pass by you. Don't take a cup, don't take the bread, because the Bible warns that there's judgment that comes upon those that take it in an unworthy manner. And if you don't have a, a relation with Jesus Christ, then you'd be taking this in an unworthy manner. Here's my prayer to you this morning and for you this morning. If you don't know Christ, give your life to Jesus Christ today. Give it to Him right now. Surrender your heart to Him. He's coming back. His word is true. We've read it. He's coming back. And one day you will bow to before Him. I pray that you do it now. Lord, take my life. I surrender to you. Take away the guilt, the shame, the sin that I have. Help me to be born again today. You pray that prayer and God will come into your life. He'll wash you of your sin and you can be born again this morning. So as we uh, prepare for communion, as the worship team comes up, I want to give you that opportunity to come to faith in Christ and then we'll pass out the elements. We'll hold on to them. We'll take them together and then we'll close. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time right now. Lord, we thank you for your word. (laughs) It is precise. It's powerful. It's permanent, Lord. And we know, Lord, that you're going to do what you said you'd done. You will return. Lord, help us to be ready. Lord, examine our hearts and our lives right now. And if there's anything that's crept in that shouldn't be there, help us to cast it aside. We're told in your word to cast every weight and sin aside that so easily besets us, that so easily slows us down in our our walk with you. Whatever that may be in our life, Lord, help us to cast it aside. Help us to to rekindle the flame that maybe we once had with you and to live for you in a greater expectation of your return for your church. Father, I do pray if there's anyone here right now that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you. They're not born again, but they want to be. Lord, I know your Holy Spirit's been working in their heart. You've been speaking to their heart. And if they're not saved, Lord, I know it's your plan and your purpose for them being here is to get saved. So, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you this morning. While their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning? This is just between you and God. I I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. I want to give you that opportunity before we pass out the elements for communion to come to know him as your Lord and Savior. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can come before your throne, find grace and mercy in time of need, forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for what the communion time represents. We ask you to bless it now as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.